It's a quarter to three. There's no one in the place except you and me. So, 37 cases on which I worked with any two of the four now dead men. A scant dozen with three, but only one. Just one case where I worked with all of them. Victoria Regina Fibes. I think they called it Fibes. Victoria Regina Fibes, born November the 27th, 1893, married, no children, diagnosis, immediate radical resection. Well, what happened? They're under the goddamn ground. Tell them about the Twinkie. What about the Twinkie? They have 500 years of democracy and peace. And what did that produce? The cuckoo clock. Dallas multipass. Well, hello there. Welcome to Celluloid Days, a podcast of film and film history. My apologies for my long absence. It's been, what, six, seven weeks since my last episode? Hey, what can I say? Between work, some freelance jobs, some family things that are going on, it just got too much and something I had to give, and, well, I put the podcast on hold. I don't like rushing episodes just for the sake of uh, content, you know. Anyway, hopefully if everything goes well, I'll be back until the end of the year. So, how have you been doing? Don't answer, I really can't hear you. So today I'm going to talk about the 1971 British dark comedy horror film, The Abominable Dr. Fives. What is it you want? The skill of your hands, Doctor. This film is a masterpiece. Okay, not really a masterpiece, but it does have a special place in my heart. I have fond memories of me and my mother watching this together when I was a child, and even then laughing about how goofy it was. And it is goofy. For instance, well, we never see Vincent Price talking. We hear him, but we never see him speak, and I'll explain a bit about that later. The film is a very stylized, dark comedy. I mean, it's almost as if the writers, James Whitten and William Goldstein, just wanted to see how bizarre, how twisted, how weird they could make it. Like I said, the film stars the one and only Mr. Vincent Price, as Dr. Anton Fives. My love, sweet queen and noble wife, I alone remain to bring delivery of your pain. I don't really need to talk about Price, do I? I mean, we all know his work. Is there anybody who doesn't like Vincent Price? I mean, the man took... Every party played seriously, no matter how silly the film, such as The Tingler. He plays that part with every bit of intensity as he does in films such as Laura, The Ten Commandments, House of Wax, The Fly, or House on Haunted Hill. He always does his best, yet there's something about his acting. Like, sometimes you expect him to wink at the camera or something. Of course, he never does. He's a professional, 
and he would never do such a thing. Hey, did I ever tell you I once met his daughter, Victoria? Anyway, this might be one of my favorite price pictures. And I know what you're saying. Come on, Jeff, really? Better than Dr. Bigfoot in the bikini machine? Um, yeah. And let's not forget Egghead in the 1960s Batman series. And do you also know what we want in exchange for the dear commissioner's life? I'm exhausted. I'll go you exquisite, diabolical genius. Anyway, the original script for the film was written by James Witten and William Goldstein. The thing about these two, they have almost no other writing credits. Goldstein's only other writing credit was The Amazing Dobermans in 1976. And Witten, he had done some TV before this, and after this, Murder by Phone in 1982, a movie I've never heard of. How could these two write such a classic film and never write again? I don't even think they wrote the sequel. Maybe it was because their script was rewritten by the director, and from what I understand, he changed it quite a bit. It was directed by English film director, screenwriter, and production designer Robert Foust. Robert lived from 1927 to 2012. He began his career as a set designer for British TV and became a director during his work on the series The Avengers. Also, in 1965, he contributed material to Peter Cook and Dudley Moore for the comedy sketch show Not Only But Also. The first film he directed was called Just Like a Woman from 1967. It was a British comedy that he both wrote and directed. His next film was an adaption of Wuthering Heights starring Ann Colder Marshall and Timothy Dalton. I've never seen it, but Gene Siskel of the Chicago Tribune gave it one star out of four and wrote, The film has the unfortunate physical appearance of a vampire tale. The following year, 1970, he made a thriller called And Soon the Darkness, about two British nurses on a cycling holiday in rural France. During the trip, one of them vanishes and the other struggles to search for her. It's one of those films I've never seen, but I always meant to. I've seen the trailer many times. The Abominable Dr. Fives was his next film. The original script was written by William Goldstein and James Witten. American International Pictures, better known as AIP, bought the script, realizing it would be perfect for their star Vincent Price. Now, Foust rewrote most of the script. Apparently, in the original, he was more of a jerk, abusing his assistant... And Foust also added more humor. Now, besides Price, we have Virginia North as Volnavia, Vibe's assistant. North lived from 1946 to 2004. She was primarily a model specializing in swimwear and had a very short film career. Her first film was Deadlier Than Male in 1967, and this film, Fives, was her last. She didn't even return for the sequel. Probably her best-known film was of Draco's lover in the James Bond film on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Although I've read her voice was dubbed, and I'm not sure why, because I believe she was English. Was there a problem with her voice? It didn't matter in this film because she's silent throughout. Dr. Vasilius was originally supposed to be played by Peter Cushing, but he had to drop out to some sort of health problems he was having at the time. He was replaced by one of my favorite actors, Joseph Cotton. 
I have a feeling he's saving something special for me that I'll be lost. After all, I was chief surgeon on the case. Joe lived from 1905 to 1994, and in his early years had been in some great films such as Citizen Kane, The Magnificent Ambersons, Journey into Fear, Shadow of a Doubt, Gaslight, Portrait of Jeannie, and The Third Man. But by this time, Cotton was taking acting roles just for the sake of acting. He played in such classic films as Lady Frankenstein, The Screaming Woman, Blood Baron, and The Devil's Daughter. From what I understand, it wasn't because he needed the money, he just wanted to keep working. He's fine in this film, but there really wasn't a lot for him to do. But he's part of the film's big climax, but hey, I'm not going to spoil it for you. Peter Jeffrey plays Inspector Harry Trout. Yes, well, if he keeps to the classic pattern, it should be the darkness for you, sir, though heaven knows what that could be. Have you, um... Have you considered the death of the firstborn, sir? Peter lived from 1929 to 1999, and he's one of those actors that I know I've seen many times. Apparently, he did a lot of British TV, but he was also in films such as If from 68, Countess Dracula from 71, Oh Lucky Man from 73, and The Return of the Pink Panther from 75. He spends most of the film hot on the trail of Dr. Five. Most of the other characters in this film are only in it for a few minutes here and there. Basically, they're there to get killed by fives. The only victim I really want to talk about is English actor and comedian Thomas Terry Horror Stevens, better known as Terry Thomas. Yes? What's this? Well, it's a... Oh, I see what you mean. Oh, yes. It's a, it's a new thing on the market. It, it keeps out drafts. Terry was on this earth from 1911 to 1990. And I think I know him best from It's a Mad, 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 Mad World from 63 and How to Murder Your Wife from 65. I might be wrong about this, but I think Thomas usually plays the same basic character in every film he was in. At least the ones I've seen. But then again, I haven't seen a lot of the films he was in, so I could totally be off there. He plays Dr. Longstreet a man who watches dirty movies, or at least what was considered dirty movies back in the 1920s, on an old movie projector. Dr. Longstreet, we are naughty, aren't we? Well, we uh, haven't touched our supper, have we? He's doing this one day when Dr. Fibes and Volnavia show up, and they begin to drain his blood and watch him die. One more actor I would like to talk about is Carolyn Moreau. You might remember Caroline from such films as Dracula A.D. from 72, At Earth's Core from 76, The Spy Who Loved Me from 77, and of course, Star Crash from 1978. However, in this film, she plays Fibes' wife, Victoria Regina Fibes, who's already dead when the film begins. For most of the film, we only see her in a black and white picture that Fibes is constantly looking at, and at the very end, we see her corpse, basically. This was quite a few years before her career really took off, and I believe she was more known as this beautiful model. Now, quickly, I'll talk about the plot of this film. It takes place in the 1920s, and we quickly find out that Fibes blames a group of doctors for his wife's death, and now he's killing them off one by one. If you say they all died mysteriously, I'll bloody kill you. Fibes was believed to have been killed in a car accident years earlier after hearing about his wife's death, but it turns out that those ashes in his tomb aren't his, and he's still alive, although horribly disfigured. Now Fibes goes around with the help of Volnavia, finding the most impractical ways to seek vengeance on those he hates. For instance, 
Fibes is in the ceiling of a bedroom of a female doctor while she sleeps. Using a long tube, he slowly pours green goo all over her face. Next, he sets a bunch of crickets free in the room, and apparently, whatever this goo is, these insects like to eat it. But unfortunately, they eat her face at the same time. It's all because Fibes is basing his kills on the ten plagues of Egypt from the Old Testament. Ah, to the Qatar. The what, sir? The Qatar. The ten curses visited upon the pharaohs before Exodus. I see. Well, what form would the curses take, sir? Such as the uh, curse of boils, of bats. Frogs? Frogs, yes. And the curse of blood. I see, sir, yes. Now, I'm not an expert on the Old Testament, but I've read that the filmmakers took some liberty with the actual ten plagues. Oh, and we never do find out why the beautiful Volnavia lives with him and helps him out. That's a mystery for the ages. Now Fibes, like I said, he was injured and his face was horribly mutilated. His real face looks sort of like a skeleton or Phantom of the Opera thing, I don't know, but he can't use his mouth. So to talk, he plugs his head into an old Victrola record player. I am giving your son the same chance that my wife had. You need not be alarmed. He has already been anesthetized. And to eat, well, he can't use his mouth, obviously, so he eats out of the back of his neck. Unfortunately, we never get to see how this works. He looks like Vincent Price because he wears a mask over his head. He also has a mechanical musical band. It's called Dr. Five's Clockwork Wizards. And it's sort of like something you'd see at Chuck E. Cheese. Dr. Fibes himself jams out on a keyboard in this very bizarre, almost art deco home he lives in. Like I said, everything in this film is strange. Everything. Now, Dr. Vesalius, played by Joseph Cotton, was the head doctor during his wife's death. The police realize this, and because they fail to protect any of the other doctors, they make every effort to protect him. But we find out that Fibes has something else in mind for Dr. Vesavius. It's that whole firstborn of Egypt thing. Well, the fact that my older brother is dead should surely exclude me from that particular curse. Mm. Well, you must just resign yourself to the fact that I'm going to remain by your side until we apprehend this man. Oh, thank you. Not at all, sir. What about your firstborn? Stanley! Ah. Get two cars, take the doctor home, put a guard around his house, alert the local division, then report back here. Anyway, that's the basic setup. For the most part, we watch Fibes kill creatively while the police try to figure things out. And of course, the police are always one step behind. It's really a fun film, definitely of its time. It has more of the feel of a 1960s movie. Because here's the thing. Although the film takes place in the 1920s, Director Robert Foust doesn't seem too concerned with that. The music alone is from different eras, later eras, that type of thing. And I'm sure some of the props and everything are, are from different time periods, though I don't know for sure. Trust me on this one. If you watch it, 
Don't concern yourself about how overly elaborate or implausible the kills are or how things just don't make a lot of sense. Just, you know, sit back and enjoy the ride. You might have a good time. terrifying motion picture you'll ever see. If I had to pick a favorite scene, it would probably be during the kill at a costume party. You see, one of the doctors shows up at this mask ball, not knowing he was supposed to wear a mask, so Fibes gives him one, a giant frog head that covers his whole head. Good God. Nobody told me this was a a master affair. For me. How very elegant. But my dear fellow, it's beautiful. What the doctor doesn't know is the mask has a device built in that slowly begins to constrict around his neck. It works like the gears of a clock. He's on a flight of stairs when he succumbs to the mask and The last thing we see is him laying on the ground with blood coming from his neck area. There's an amusing scene right after where the main policeman is trying to get help in investigating these deaths. His boss says, Absolutely not. We're short-staffed as it is. You want me to give you more men to go charging off on one of your half-baked theories? It's ridiculous. Anyway, medical men die every day. I'm aware of that, sir. Okay. You would think that after a man was choked to death by a mask that was obviously made to choke him to death, there would be some concern, but hey, medical men die every day. It's one thing I love about horror films of the 70s. I mean, for the most part, the police are very far away from being Sherlock Holmes, if you know what I mean. Now, this movie isn't perfect. There are a few scenes, a few areas that I I don't appreciate, and Like there are many moments in which they attempt comedy, and sometimes it just doesn't seem to work. Like there's a scene in which a jeweler is questioned by the police. It's one of those cases in which the writers were trying really hard to force colorfulness into a minor character. It's something you see in a lot of films, and it bugs me. This whole exchange, I think, is just awkward. Oh dear me, you've broken it. What's that? It really is incredible, the amount of vandalism that there is around these days. I mean, I make something like this, a thing of beauty and a joy for everyone. Ah, you did make it, sir. Of, uh, yes, of course I made it. I wish to establish that, sir. Yes. yes certainly I did. That's my mark on the back there. Good, thank you. Now, can you tell me a little bit about it, please, sir? Yes, yes, certainly. It's one of a very unusual set, this. A set? Yes. There's more than one? Of course there's more than one. It's a set. Yes, well, how many in the set, sir? Ten. Ten? Ten. Yes, I see. W- were they all the same? Of course they weren't all the same. Do you want ten amulets looking exactly the same? (laughs) Each of them had a different symbol. I see, well, who ordered the set? And some of Fibes' kills, well, they go beyond just being too elaborate. Some of them just don't seem to make any sense whatsoever. Like 
Vibe's first kill. He puts a group of large bats, I'm guessing vampire bats, into a sleeping man's room. The victim awakes just as the bats are climbing up onto the bed. They find him the next morning with his face all chewed apart, still in his bed. And I'm like thinking, okay, if I'm laying in bed and I see bats coming at me, and I'm not even sure if they would actually do that, but if they were coming at me, I'd jump up out of bed, run out the door, and close it. Anyway, for some reason, this guy decided just to stay in bed and let the bats chew his face. I don't know. But, like I said, all in all, I enjoyed this film, and... I wondered, does everybody enjoy this film? So I'll turn to the IMDb user reviews and see what some of the reviewers thought of this film. Naltamari10 gave it 10 out of 10 stars, and he or she wrote, A masterpiece. Calling this horror does not make it justice. I wouldn't call it a movie either, but film. It's pure art. The set and art direction are incredible. The whole movie shows the aura of the 1920s Art Deco, giving it that classy touch. The script is also very original, and there's even room for a lot of laughs without sacrificing style or rhythm. Vincent Price is perfect as Fives. And as the other reviewer just said, he is Fives, and he succeeds where others probably would have failed miserably, fitting perfect into the tone of the movie. Great direction by Robert First. Also, he manages to mix the perfect amount of horror, drama, romance, and comedy into a single movie. Well, Naltamari 10, I too am a fan of this movie, but I think you might be overselling it just a little bit. I hate to break it to you, but this is just a movie. I joked near the beginning of my review calling this a masterpiece and no, it's not quite a masterpiece. DW Polar 11 gave this 7 stars, and this is what he or she wrote. Can't be called classic with perfect performance. Can't be called classic with a perfect performance and a role by Vincent Price, who does most of the job through his facial expressions and presence. The story revolves around a dead-like Dr. Fibes playing the organ, directing music, dancing, and ceremoniously clean-off surgeons who failed to fix his wife after a car accident. He uses the Pharaoh's curses as the basis for each killing, and he inevitably makes each one unique and grins and even applauds himself after one demise. Some subtle British humor is also thrown in for extra, but all that's needed with this one is price and the role to make it a classic horror camp. Thank you, Mr. or Mrs. P.W. Polar 11. Again, I agree with most of this, but you talk about this movie in such glowing terms, I'm surprised you only gave it seven stars. Surely there was something in this movie that caused you to bring it down by three stars, but you don't let us know, so anyway... Ridune 10 only thought it deserved 5 stars. Theater of Blood was much better. Handsome, colorful, but also tedious, lackluster horror film. Much inferior to the very similar Theater of Blood. 
I agree with all those that said Vincent Price's inability to use his voice in a normal way hurts the film. His completists will have fun anyway. Okay, Mr. Gridoon, or Mrs. Gridoon, you've made the classic error of coming into this film expecting to see one film, Theater of Blood, and seeing something different and therefore you couldn't enjoy it. Watch it again and accept this film on its own and see what you think about it. Nah, you probably won't like it anyway. Jay Labar 4 didn't care for it much and only gave it three stars. Worst $3 ever spent. And there's three exclamation points. I watched a review of this movie on Cinemassacre and I thought it looked pretty cool, so I decided to buy it. I paid $3 on eBay for it and had to wait a week to get it. Once it arrived, I popped it in and was ready to be chilled like the DVD case said. I was chilled all right, chilled with boredom and anger for spending $3 on this crap. This movie took about 30 minutes to get going. The first scene is Dr. Fobbs playing the organ and dancing around in a robe like a damn fool. He then starts to randomly kill people in the lamest way possible. Bats? An air conditioner? Come on, man. We don't get a clue as to why he's doing this until the middle of the movie. At that point, I was sleeping. I turned the thing off, threw it against the wall, and cursed like a truck driver for 15 minutes. This movie came out about the same time as Texas Chainsaw Massacre, so I was expecting something like that. Man, I was wrong. If you have trouble sleeping, buy this movie. It sure does the trick. I want my $3 back, and I want it back now. Oh, dearie, dearie. You know, one time I paid $7 for a beer that I was told was a tasty beer, and I didn't like that beer. I didn't finish it. I wasn't upset. After all, it was only $7. I might be wrong here, but if you go into violent tantrums and start breaking things and cursing over $3, you might want to seek professional help. I'm just saying. By the way, Dr. Vibe's first kill happens like five minutes into the movie. So saying it took 30 minutes to get going, I don't know what film you watched, but it wasn't the same one I watched. Conman476-2130 gave it only one star. And he or she said, An utter abomination. The primary emotion I felt while wading through this pile of detritus was shame. Shame for the people who made it. Shame for the people who watched it. And especially shame for the people who rated it highly. Reading through the other positive reviews leaves me awestruck. In no way was this movie even remotely humorous. The fact that this movie is rated higher than the other price films, such as The Tingler and House on Haunted Hill, makes me want to move to a desolate island far away from anyone who could actually enjoy this movie. As long as I live, I will yell from the highest rooftops that this incomprehensible, incompetent cloud of effluvium spewed from the gastrointestinal tracts of a feeble-minded fool is without a doubt the worst film I have ever seen. I don't know, uh, did Conman like this movie? I, I'm a bit confused on that one. Um, Conman, if you're listening to this podcast, let me know. I, I, don't, I don't get it, uh, whether you liked it or not. I couldn't tell by your review. 
incidental music for Dr. Fives was composed by Basil Kirschen. Basil lived from 1927 to 2005 and was an English drummer and composer who did a lot of experimental electronic music. I can't really say a lot about the incidental music. I mean, it was there, and I guess it was okay. It really didn't make an impression on me one way or the other. It's the use of other tunes I thought was interesting. You hear music like War of the Priests by Felix Mendelssohn, which Vibes plays in the organ at the beginning. And What Can I Say After I'm Say I'm Sorry by Walter Donaldson that Vibes Clockwork Musicians play. Now, director Robert Foos didn't concern himself with music from the actual time period. Much of the music used was composed after the 1920s, such as Somewhere Over the Rainbow. The film was very successful, and quickly a sequel was put into place. It was called Dr. Fives Rises Again, and even a third film was planned called The Brides of Dr. Fives, but that was never made. It's too bad, right? Anyway, I think that if you want to watch a silly, fun movie one rainy Saturday afternoon, you could do worse than watch the abominable Dr. Fives. It's not for everybody, but (laughs) I enjoyed it, so... se nám kazí na tom světě? Co všechno? Tak všechno. Na tom světě. Víš co? Když se všechno kazí, tak budeme kažené i my správně vadí. Rehabilitační středisko. Umři, umři, umři. A little bit before I go. The sequel, Dr. Fibes Rises Again, is interesting but a bit of a letdown. It begins with the last time on Dr. Fibes intro. But then the thing is, Fibes really doesn't have a good reason to commit the creative murders like he did in the first one. It has something to do with a trip to Egypt to seek eternal life. But the good news is, Peter Cushing, who was supposed to be in the first one, is in this one, and Peter Jeffries returns as Inspector Trout. But Volnavia is now played by Valley Kemp, and I have no idea why. Listen, if you've got any thoughts on the abominable Dr. Fibes or, or anything else connected with today's show, you can email me at daysofcelluloid at gmail.com. Days of celluloid all being one word. Hey, now that I think about it, it doesn't have to be about Fibes. You can email me for any reason, even if it's just to say hi. 
Or you can use my Facebook page. It's called Celluloid Days. Or our Twitter page. It's at celluloid underscore days. Next week, we're going to do a Czechoslovakian surreal comedy film from 1966 called Daisies, written and directed by Vera Chikalova. It's a really bizarre film that's regarded as a milestone of the Czechoslovak New Wave movement, and it follows two young women, both named Marie, who engage in strange pranks because they feel they deserve to be spoiled. Anyway, this one's going to be a challenge just to pronounce all the names right. Hey, before I leave, I have one more request. If you could leave me a review, hopefully a good one, at wherever you stream this podcast, I'd be forever grateful. Thanks for listening. I will be back next week, next Monday. Thanks. Bye-bye. They're under the goddamn ground. Tell them about the Twinkie. What about the Twinkie? They have 500 years of democracy and peace. And what did that produce? The cuckoo clock. Two dollars multipass. You're stupid minds. Stupid. Stupid. I don't know whether I even want to go out with Jeff again. The High Court may well sentence you to torture. Can you play the piano? I'm torture.